to JudgeCast. This is episode number 37. My name is CJ Schrader, level 2 judge from Smyrna, Georgia. And with me, as always, is the indomitable Just Dunks. Hi, I'm Just Dunks. I'm a level 2 judge from Northern California, and we are joined again today by Brian Proleman. Hello, level 2 Orlando, Florida. Oh, wait. More like level 2. I'm, I'm west, west New Smyrna. Right, right, west New Smyrna. West New Smyrna. <laughs> Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and get all the callbacks in right now. Get it, get it. Get them all out of the way. So that's, uh, that's, yeah. that's gonna be, you know what, that's good. I know we, uh, this isn't the first thing on the agenda, but that's gonna be my guess for what's in the hell vault. Raven Fox is actually Raven Fox. <laughs> jump, jump out of the hell vault. <laughs> uh, well, let's dive right in. Uh, <laughs> Because of all the uh, the IPG stuff and all that kind of craziness, we don't have a lot of news this week, I feel. But we did learn what the new abilities in Avacyn Restored are going to be. And I thought it would behoove us to uh, to go over those for a second. Uh, we have two new abilities, Soul Bond and then apparently the most complicated ability in the world, if forums are to be correct, Miracle. We can start with Soul Bond. I just want to read what I wrote here because I think it's funny. And if I think I'm funny, others must too. So... Basic just is it, is soul, it soul, soul bound or it's is it soul bond. bond? It's soul bond. Everyone's really? saying soul bound and it's driving me insane. It's soul bond. Oh, okay, okay. You corrected me. <laughs> yeah, soul bond is basically. I wrote, you can pair a dude with another unpaired dude whenever first dude or new dude it comes in to the battlefield. Uh, both dudes I'm get dude broke paired powers. with the dude, pretending to be paired with the other dude. That is is very male centric. No, I call it, girls can be <laughs> dude. Girls, either that or. Now I'm getting visions of like the big Lebowski. It's like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the dude. I was actually kind of going for Tropic Thunder there, but, uh, oh. you know, that works. <laughs> so the chest so, of Soul Bond, though. It is Soul Bond, yeah. I, I have a Silver Blade Paladin in front of me, and yep. I see Soul Bond, not Soul Bound. Okay. So the, the gist is basically whatever a Soul Bond creature or. married. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they get married till de- and it's till death do us part. That's a great way to put it. It's exactly what happens. They two, they both will get the same ability, and then um, they both share like a soul bond ability. Like like uh, Jess just mentioned that paladin. Do you have them op- open, Jess? I, I do. Yeah, I have it open. Yeah, it's soul bond, and as long as it's paired with another creature, uh, both creatures have double strike, and this guy's a two two on his own. So if he's in play and uh, some another creature comes into play, you can pair both of them. Or if another creature's in play and then he comes into play, you could still pair both of them. So it works either way, right? As long okay. as he's not already paired, it always works. So if you if he's already paired with someone else, married, I think is the best term, and this new totally hot chick, and she's like younger, comes into the battlefield, the paladin <laughs> still can't bond with that new one until either his wife dies or he dies. So even if he's going through a midlife crisis... yeah. Nothing. He was still not okay. even then. He soul bonded. Unless soul bound. Unless you're playing Utah, <laughs> in which you can get soul bonded to as many people as you want. Yeah, soul bonds. Oh, because it has that those, was... like rules in in the CR, but um, in the comprehensive rules, but it's not the one that's caused nearly as much confusion. I mean, basically, if you lose control of your guy, or if anything happens that he's no longer yours, if he dies. If he leaves the battlefield and comes right back, because Flicker is kind of a sub theme of this of this set, he's no longer bonded to that other thing, and you can rebond him when he comes, either when he re-enters the battlefield or, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it, it's if you have if you play one creature like 
on your first turn you play a a, a dude with uh with soul bond and then you and has has an ability you know obviously there's nobody for him to get married to and then you play another dude uh with soul bond you know and, which... an ability and they get married then they give each other their soul bond ability like that the guy with the flying and the guy with the double strike so they both become double strike flyers mm-hmm the only other interesting thing about Soul Bond is it is a May, so if, if a new guy comes in and your guy is not already paired, you can you don't have to pair it with the new guy. Okay, okay. So this uh this is a May ability. Even though Wizards said they were moving away from that, they're they're making this one a May. Uh, okay. Unless it's strategically interesting, they said, and I think this one is. Now here's a, a question I have for you. Can I pair my silver blade paladin with a creature an opponent controls? No. The bond. You control both this creature and another creature, yep. and both are unpaired. You have to control them both. You can't have like a Romeo and Juliet story going okay. on where there are two families. Or West Side Story. Sure. Just got when you're a jet. No. i too young for that. Sorry. How is Romeo and Juliet not... Well, it's the that, West Side Story is that, yeah, it's that pretty much the same thing. with that uh, with that girl in it. I don't. That was descriptive. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Oh, oh Claire, like Claire Danes, and that was like 15 years. ago. No. The only reason I bring that up is because the reminder text on Soulbond uh, doesn't make that clear. Ah. Uh, that that it has to be both creatures you control. So it does have to be both creatures you control. Yeah, I mean, it does say they remain paired for as long as you control both of them, but it doesn't clearly state that. Right, but it kind of implies, it's a little weird. Yeah, and also Sobon doesn't target, uh, so if you have a guy enter with Shroud, it, it's not targeting, you're just, they just become. You could also, you could also Phantasmal Image your Silverblade Paladin and have mm-hmm. some fun with that. Yeah, that's, wait. Um, Shroud quite cannot as good. stop true love. <laughs> true story. What are you saying? What? <laughs> You said Shroud cannot stop true love. Oh, you know? okay. It's a, it's a Princess Bride reference, right? It is. Well, um, I mean, it's when, when I first when I first read this ability, uh, I kind of read it. And my first thought was, "Oh, it's the way people think banding actually does work," <laughs> because people are people are like, "So if it's in a band, like they share abilities, right?" No. Yeah. Like, well, what good is this? The what good is it then? People call this fixed banding, and I'm like, this really has nothing to do with it, banding. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. It Not just even close. Seems it it just works the way that some people think banding does work. Yeah, I think that's all we got to say about Soul Bond. So let's move on to what's blowing up the forums is a miracle lately, and there is a ton of misinformation out there about miracle. Like people are having a hard time understanding how it works. Uh, does anyone want to do a quick summary? Uh, Not I'd as scary to. as you think. Yeah, no. I, I'd love to do a quick summary. So miracle is, uh, you know, it's a static ability that says that when you draw this card, if it's the first card you drew this turn, you can reveal it. And then if you do, it triggers a triggered ability that says you may play this for its cost or for its miracle cost. The thing is that if you reveal it, you have to keep it revealed until that triggered ability resolves. Yes. Or and- it's the stack for some other reason. Right, or if the card leaves your hand, then it then uh, uh, you don't get to cast it. And, and this actually, the question everyone has been asking me about this is: what happens if at the end of my opponent's turn I cast Desperate Ravings, and the first card I draw is a Miracle card, and then I have to discard a card at random? Mm-hmm. How do I determine the random card and then still cast the Miracle card? Nice. Uh, and 
the uh, the the answer I've been telling everybody is you could still randomly determine it using a die roll or or whatever random method you were going to use. Don't just let your opponent pick a card because that's not actually random. But whatever random method you were going to use, just you know when you lay out your cards, keep the miracle card face up, keep it revealed. That way, if it's randomly discarded, you know that. Uh, yeah. If you stop revealing it. It goes to your hand, you you pick it up, whatever, it's too late. You can't cast that card with Miracle. Yeah, exactly. I'd heard I'd heard people talk about like Desperate Ravings being the worst thing ever with this card or you know, being the biggest issue, and I never even understood what the actual issue is. Now I see and it's I really think, not that bad. Yeah, it's not that bad. I think Brainstorm might actually be more yeah. difficult to understand with this. But it works basically the same way. You have to keep it revealed. So you draw it, you reveal it, you finish resolving Brainstorm, put two cards back, and then you can cast it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cast in the middle of resolving brainstorm. It's not panglacial worm for drawing cards or oh. anything like that, which I'm really happy about and yeah. sad about at the same time because I love me some panglacial worm. <laughs> it's like a rules guru's just love affair. Is is that card? Yes, it can cause everything yes. weird. Oh, I love it when you when somebody tries to cast panglacial worm and then they tap you know deranged assistant for mana and you're like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm gonna read panglacial worm for those who don't know. It has a bunch of crap, no one cares. But it says while you're searching your library, you may play or you may uh, cast Pine Glacial Worm from your library, which is the only card that does anything like this. Yes, it, yes, it, yes. it can cause all kinds of weird, weird rule tricks. Yeah, a little bit. I walk away but, for like three <laughs> minutes and I come back to playing Pine Glacial Worm. Well, it's you oh, can well, tell well, how it's related to Miracle. What? Because some people think that you can cast in the middle of resolving some kind of draw spell, and you can't. It's a triggered ability. That's all we were discussing. Yep. And so, like, Miracle's really simple, and and I'm almost a little hesitant, but a lot of the time it's going to work a lot like Devil of Secrets. And Devil of Secrets has worked out just fine, even though Devil of Secrets actually works differently. That's actually an excellent way to put it. It doesn't work quite the same way because it's not triggered uh, you know, on your draw step, but as far as the players are concerned when they're playing, if you're judging this event or if you're a player playing this event, basically treat it like you would Devil of Secrets. (laughs) If you draw that card, put it in your hand, and then go, oh, wait, I forgot to reveal this for Miracle, it's too late. Yep, too late. Same thing, same thing with Delver of Secrets, where if you pick that card up and you put it in your hand and you didn't reveal it, it's too late. And it, it shouldn't be, in a, in a constructed event specifically, uh, less, less so in a limited event, but it really shouldn't be a surprise that you have Miracle cards in your deck. Correct. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really shouldn't be like, what? What's this? <laughs> What is this strange-looking card with these little lines coming out of it and this triangle stuff? I don't understand. I, I like that they have a different frame for the mirror. I card. best put it in my hand and ponder this. Yeah, I like <laughs> that, too. I, I think some people don't, but I, I think that's just fine. So here's another thing that came up with miracle cards that uh, people have been asking me about. And I, I thought this went without saying, but I've gotten this question enough times that I want to bring it up. If it's a sorcery with miracle, you can still cast it with the miracle ability, absolutely. Anytime, anytime you drew that card, it doesn't have to be somehow the first card you've drawn, and it's during your main phase. Yep. You can think twice and draw temporal mastery at the end of your opponent's turn and take an extra turn. And yeah, that would be a really bad ability. If... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's it's almost like all those all those cards that 
that they come into play with plus, you know, they're zero zero and they come into play with plus one plus one counters. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel it's like, hey, that's a, you know, it's like when it comes into play, put the counters on it. It's like it's a triggered ability. It's yeah. Like, well, if it's a triggered ability, that card's pretty miserable. Yeah, clone. People think clone is a trigger all the time. Yeah. But, it oh. turns out it wouldn't work that way. Oh, no, it would just die. Yeah, because state based actions are checked, then the trigger's put on the stack, and clone would die. So. We just said what you can do with Miracle, and to be very, very clear on this, you can't just reveal the card when you draw it, and then later in that turn be like, alright, now I'm gonna cast it for its Miracle cost. It, do- it just doesn't work like that. You, you reveal it, and you're basically casting it immediately after that. Uh, there's, there's no other trick to it. it. It's really not that hard to get, and I, and I think once you, you start to think about it correctly, it, it shouldn't be that issue. Although I think the pre-release is gonna be interesting. It'll be interesting. I, I the one like... thing to note about it is that it is a triggered ability, so your opponent can respond before mm-hmm. you cast it, and it's still in your hand. Yep, and, so, they, and they know what it is because you revealed it. Like right, so you reveal it, trigger goes on the stack. If they if it's the only card in your hand and they have a way to make you discard cards or something like that, they can make you discard, and then you don't have it anymore. You know, the, and there, there are other mechanics in, in Avacyn Restore. There's uh, Undying's coming back, but everyone should be able to understand that. Uh, flickering, which is basically removing something from the battlefield and bringing it back, is kind of a, a sub-theme of Avacyn Restored. Those kinds of abilities have been around for a while. I don't think they're worth talking about too much. You know, basically, the creature that comes back is a brand new object. So anything targeting it before then, any counters it had, auras, everything, just goes away. It, it's a so, brand new. Uh, so it, this excites me. Did you guys see that card? Cloud shift that was spoiled. Yes, uh, it's a momentary blink, except it only costs one. Exile target creature you control, return it to the battlefield you control. Yep. It's amazing. I mean, uh, momentary blink had a flashback cost of three and a blue. This has a flashback cost of one and a blue, and it gives you a two-one dude in the process. You know, because everybody's gonna play Snapcaster Mage with it. Oh, I had no so. idea what you were talking about just then. <laughs> I was, I, I was for a second, I was like, I don't remember it doing, like, there's no flashbacks that. 2-1, is he making a uh, joke about, oh, okay, Snapcaster, yeah. Yeah, but everybody's so, gonna do that. Um, one, one note that in the, if you, if you go back in the, in the way, way back machine, people might think that this works. Even though it's like, hey, you know, tokens, state-based actions, this spell, you know, takes a creature out of play and brings it back into play, you know, and state based actions aren't checked so it can bring tokens back. Uh, no. No. Right. No. There's actually a rule just yes. for that that says if a token would return to the battlefield from a zone other than the battlefield, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Yep. <laughs> so you, you blink, you exile your token, and then the game tries to bring it back and it doesn't. And then it just sits there until state-based actions are checked, in which case it goes pop. Because that's the sound. That's the sound in my mind. Tokens make when that state-based action goes. They pop. Is, is just maybe something like that. You know, one cool thing you can do with this cloud shift is uh, you can use traitor's blood or whatever similar effect we might have in uh, Avacyn Restored, which is basically gain control of your opponent's creature until end of turn. Then you can use cloud shift to exile it and then return it back to the battlefield under your control. And since it's a brand new guy under your control now, you don't you won't lose it at the end of turn. So you get a sweet bear for yourself. Oh, that that is a little bit different from Momentary Blink, isn't it? I think it is. I didn't play when Momentary Blink was out, so I'm not as familiar. Yeah, that repl- returns it to its owner's control. So this is slightly different. The other mechanic they have in um, well, they call it a mechanic. They call it this loner mechanic that seems to be on some black cards. Uh, the the first example of it was Demonic Taskmaster, which is a creature. Is it costs two and a black, and it's four three with flying. 
and it says at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature other than demonic taskmaster. Uh, the only really relevant things to go in here is that they don't sacrifice themselves, which I did not notice that the first time I read this card. And then also, if you happen to have two of them, like if you had two demonic taskmasters, then both of them are going to end up getting sacrificed because you'd have both triggers on the stack. Uh, one would have you sacrifice the other guy, and then the other one would resolve and have you sacrifice the first guy. They are truly loners. So have you guys been keeping up on the spoilers? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Some. The problem is that by the time that this is released, our knowledge of the spoilers will be out of date. Yeah, yeah. Well, all I wanted to ask was, you know, we we talked a couple episodes ago about how Matt Tabak said that some of these these questions are going to be these cards are going to be so complicated that you should just call a judge. Have you guys seen anything that seemed really complicated yet? Uh, no. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I think it's still coming. Oh, uh, uh, Spellscarn or whatever. What? So the spells kite Karn liberated combo. Right, we were talking about that last time, how it would be. You have the memory of a tsetse fly, CJ. Is that a lot? <laughs> I think a goldfish, but smaller. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't listening, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. See, here's the thing, though. You edited that episode, which means you had to listen to it <laughs> at least twice. Yeah, but when I edit, I listen <laughs> at, like... Double speed, so everyone just sounds like actually it could have it could have been in the pre-show banter before we started recording, and then been like, oh yeah, we we should probably talk about this while on the air while we're recording. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So you guys want to talk about the the pre-releases here for Avacyn Resort? Since we're on Avacyn Resort topic, they're gonna have these special Hell Vault pre-releases where um they're gonna have this. I guess it's just a cardboard Hell Vault, and and the big mystery is to guess like what's inside the Hell Vault. And do you guys have any idea? So uh, there could be a lot of things inside the Hell Vault. Section two of the IPG. Yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> it's all. We're actually, we're actually, it's gonna be about mist triggers, right? So, so <laughs> all, all, everybody's mist triggers yeah. are gonna be in the Hell Vault. Yeah. So that's they all just come on the stack. <laughs> and what, what is it actually gonna be? Is this thing where? Where there's going to be a condition which says, you know, you can open the hell vault and get something whenever you do something. And if you forget, well, then you're just screwed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, actually, I, I, I don't know what's going to be in the IP, or in the, in the, the hell vault. It could be promos. It could be dice. It, it, although. More uh, little another, smaller hell vaults. Oh, that'd be sweet. Another judge I know said that if, if it's more Innistrad M&Ms, they're going to burn their NPR cards and quit magic. Oh. <laughs> What's wrong with Innistrad M&Ms? I didn't get any. Well, you obviously didn't go to F&M that week. No, I don't, I don't go to F&M. Well, you are a slacker as a judge. Well, I'm uh, level two. That's level one business. I don't judge F&M. I just go play. <laughs> I hope it's full art sanctuary cat promos in the Hell Vault. I hope it's not. <laughs> no, they could do that sweet full art treatment like they did in, uh, in, in sanctuary Future Sight. Yeah. You know what I want? I want more full art cryptic commands in the Hell Vault. Uh, that was... Why did they do that? <laughs> like, I, I was one of the most complicated cards. I, full art promo. Yeah. And then I, uh, I didn't play when Cryptic Command was out, so I, I did, you know, I see this full art card, I'm like, what? Oh, Cryptic Command is great though. I That's mean, great. I know what it does now, but. Geez. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've definitely seen that in modern where people play it and other people are like, hi, what, what's going on? I don't understand. I, I don't know. I think, you know, okay, so officially, I think the Hell Vault is supposed to have 54 item A, whatever that is, 54 item B, and 108 item C. So there, there's all these items. So there's apparently three different things in the Hell Vault. And if I had to take a guess seriously at what it is, I'd say it's probably like two different promo cards and maybe some dice or something along those lines. I, I actually don't know for sure, but that makes sense. 
Maybe Brian Perlman's youth is in the hell vault. Oh. <laughs> so, Brian, you were at a judge conference this weekend. I was at a judge conference this weekend. And you put it in the show notes that you wanted to talk about it. So, go. I did. Go. Um, <clears throat> go. Go. Ah, pressure. Go. Pressure. Ah, stop. So, we had, um, we had a conference at, uh, Phoenix Games, uh, here in Orlando, Florida. It was not tied to a GP, which a lot of judge conferences normally are. We had it on a Sunday so that people could, could come down. Uh, that was a decision made by RRC. Uh, a lot of times when judge conferences are, are tied to a GP, they're on the Friday before, which means People who can only work Saturday or Sunday, maybe they have to take a day off of work, that kind of, you know, basically take additional time off of work to come and make it. So mm-hmm. he wanted to, to try and have it on, uh, not tied to an event on a weekend. And we had close to like 60, 70 people. Uh, L1s, uh, we pulled, uh, mostly from Florida. Florida is, is a very large, very large judge community pulled from Georgia, I think Alabama, Utah. It was good. It was uh, six hours. We had presentations go- right, ranging from uh, I did unsport, uh, unsporting conduct. Uh, we had uh, you know L1 responsibilities, working towards L2, um, uh, logistical problems that you might have at small events. Uh, Michael Fortino presented that. We had uh, a seminar. Probably, I think the most, I'll say the most popular one based on the questions that it generated was, uh, Todd Palmer went over the new IPG changes, uh, the lapsing triggers. Uh, there still seems to be just overall a lot of questions and concerns about that in the L1, uh, and, and, uh, some in the L2 community. So there was a lot of that. Uh, Justin Turner did, uh, 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 presentation on investigations and DQs because that's that is something that that was actually really good because it's the DQ is kind of one of those things that when it happens a lot of times you know you're by yourself or you're the only judge there it's an FNM or something like that and you really don't know what to do if that wasn't part of your training like you know that you got to do something but you don't know that you're supposed to collect a statement from mm-hmm. the player who's being disqualified until. Like after you're like, hey, I disqualified a guy. What do I do? It's like, oh, well, you need to enter his statement into into the judge center. His what? Yeah, and I'm sure at that point you really want to go find the guy and get back in contact with him. Yeah. So for the for the L ones that uh, for the judges that don't know, um, when you decide to to pull the trigger and disqualify a player from your event, you want to be sure to get a statement from them. You want to be you want to get. Their side of the story, you know, Wizards wants to know their side of the story. So you're going to uh, give them a pen and paper and ask them for, you know, obviously their name and then some way to get in touch with them, their address, phone number, email, something so that Wizards can contact and get their side of the story and let them know if they have if they have issues or problems or anything like that, that you are going to transcribe it verbatim. And it's very, very important that you do that. So you get their statement. You take the time to write down your statement of what happened, and then you take both of them, and there is a link on Judge Center where you took your tests and all that, where you can enter that information in. The, the player being disqualified, your statement, any, uh, the statement of any, uh, spectators that might be relevant. And then you want to hold on to that paper, those papers, uh, until the investigation is closed just in case there is a question on whether or not you actually transcribed 
word for word what the uh, disqualified player said. If a player, sometimes they're really upset. They might not want to make a statement. It's really in their best interest to make a statement because uh, that that information goes into into the investigation committee and they consider that kind of thing. And if you just ball up the piece of paper and throw it on the floor or something like that, that probably uh, won't reflect too well. We had we had a lot of L1s uh, or a lot of L0s uh, test. We had uh, we had I think three new L2s. At the at the conference, so it was it was overall a, a, a big big success. Sounds good. You mentioned that uh, a lot of the L ones have a problem with the the new lapsing abilities and all the changes to miss triggers. And I know I have not judged yet under the new IPG. And Jess, I don't think you have either. Uh, I have not yet judged under the new IPG. I have played in one event with the new IPG, but I haven't yeah. judged yet. And yeah. Brian, you you did judge at a yes. TCG yes. player. What is that? A one K, I assume. It, uh, no, it was, uh, one of the, one of the stores about, about an hour from here. They were trying real hard to, they're, they're trying to real hard. I don't know how the WPN levels work, but I know that 32, if you have 32 players in an event, that's a magic number for advancing to the next level. Okay. So they were pushing real hard to have that event where they got 32 people. So I went out there and helped them out and, and we got that. And then there was also a PTQ up in Tallahassee and I got to talk to some of the judges who, who did that on Saturday. Uh, to see how that went. And overall, it went really well. You still needed to give, at, at my particular event, since it was 32 people, and when you have like competitive events, this was the store's first competitive level event. So I took a little bit more time to explain some of the differences between competitive level events and, and your FNMs. Uh, just so they would, you know, understand because a lot of times maybe players aren't familiar with the, this whole, you know, rolling f- to determine the winner being bad. Yeah. Or even calling a judge sometimes. Or even calling think. a judge or, or maybe, you know, like where is the line for outside assistance? You know, stuff like that. And one of the things that I went over and I, and I made an approach that I think worked well for this group and might work well in other people's stores is basically opponents, uh, you know, summarize opponents. You don't have to, you know, point out your opponent's missed triggers. Uh, you don't have to, players don't have to point out their opponent's missed triggers. You are responsible for your triggers. If you find out that you missed a trigger, call a judge. If you are the opponent and you want a missed trigger to happen, call a judge. Okay. And the judge will determine what happens. Okay, because there's the the whole lapsing, non-lapsing thing. Really, just take as much of the burden off of the players as possible. So it's it's you, your trigger, you miss it, call a judge. You you're the opponent, you want to miss trigger to happen, call a judge. And what ended up happening was I ended up giving out only one legitimate missed trigger the entire event. And did you give any uh, illegitimate missed triggers? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. When, uh, I did have one guy who, under the old rules, would have been game lost out of the event. Uh, Shrine of Burning Rage, you know, was giving him a hard time. I have seen players game lost out of their own events because of that card. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that card is so, part of the reason for the change. Yeah. So he would have, he, he, he was very thankful for the change. 
you know, because I'd just come over there and he and he'd be like, um, um, my shrine. And I'm like, it's fine. Lapsing ability. You're fine. And he's like, OK. And then we get a call again, you know, 20 minutes later. Um, judge. <laughs> I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm glad he kept calling you, though, because he did. Yeah. You, you would think maybe a player would learn. Oh, you know, I'm just going to treat this as a maven. But that's that's not correct. You, you should always call a judge, even if you're totally sure it's a lapsing trigger. You still need to call a judge when you notice you missed your own trigger. And one of the other things that I did spend a little bit of time going over, uh, because while you, the opponent, don't have to point out the other players missed triggers, you are responsible for the other stuff. And some players don't necessarily know what a trigger is. Yeah. You know, so we went over at the very beginning. I was just like, I was like, this is how you know if something's a trigger. It uses these three magic words, win, whenever, and at. And then, you know, I gave examples. I was like, at bedtime, I brush my teeth. You know, and I tried to make them uh, uh, a little more humorous. Haha. I love that. I love that they have those three words or the, those magic words to denote triggers, right? Yeah. And then they go and print miracle. Which is a triggered ability that doesn't use those words. Oh, well, it's, it's in it's in there in the CR. At the beginning. It's, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that was kind of, that was kind of supposed to be humorous at the same oh. time, but, but like. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was like, on Earth doesn't have has sets up a delayed trigger in its ability. Yeah. When I first started taking judge tests, I, I learned quickly that you you just can't trust reminder text for some abilities. Uh, but the whole reason we wanted to talk about lapsing abilities is is we didn't go into them too deep last show. And I thought we could discuss them a little bit deeper this time and then also talk about a few examples, seeing a lot of confusion out there. Uh, so the first step that I would like to do is actually read off the list of effects that would cause an ability to be lapsing. And then we can go over some examples of, of uh, how to handle different mistrigger situations. Okay, so this list is uh, it's things that the lapsing abilities are things in this list. They can be more than one thing in this list, right? Yes. But they can't be, if, if it, if it does something on this list and does something not on this list, it doesn't count, right? It is, yeah, it is not a lapsing okay, ability. Cool. And let me, I guess one, one other thing that I noticed talking to some people at the, the judge conference is that there's a lot of people that tend to shortcut this list as just saying, Oh, it's just a list of beneficial abilities. So therefore, all beneficial abilities are on this list, and that's not that's not true. Yeah. yeah. While while this list is made up of things that are generally good for you, that isn't they're not the same thing. Like everything that's good for you is not on this list, you know, and everything on this list is in some is not always, uh, you know, in some corner is not always good for you. Correct. So so if you just want to shortcut it. I actually don't even do that. Just it's a list of like nine things, ten things, uh, twelve things, lots of infinite things. Yeah. Um, just remember and, and that it's as, just it is what it is. Just remember that C D C I P P P G U G E I, and then you're good. You got it from there on out. Yeah. And I'll say what those stand for. C. Center disease control. Yeah. Center disease control is putting permanence. Okay, so the list is <laughs> causes you to gain life, deals damage to an opponent or causes an opponent to lose life, causes an opponent to discard cards, instructs you to look at and or rearrange cards in a zone, puts cards into your hand from the graveyard or exile zone. No. Not the library. Not the library, exactly. <clears throat> puts a permanent onto the battlefield under your control or gives you control of a permanent. 
puts counters linked to a beneficial effect, such as plus one, plus one counters or charge counters, on one or more permanents you control. Uh, it's up to the judge to decide what it means by beneficial effect, but I think it's generally clear. You know, shrines are beneficial. Gives one or more permanents you control, plus X, plus Y, or a beneficial ability. Two things to mention there. First, it says plus X, plus Y, but plus X, plus X is also correct, is fine. And, um, and then it's up to the judge to decide what a beneficial ability is. For the most part, that's also very clear. Flying is obviously beneficial. Uh, reach is beneficial. And then Toby has straight up said that shadow and uh, shroud are both considered beneficial for this. What? That's what he said. That's what he said. I know. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. It is fine. It is fine. Usually if you're giving your guy shroud, it's for a good reason. How about ninjutsu if I give my guy ninjutsu? Is that beneficial? How do you give a guy ninjutsu? Is there a card that does that? Exactly. No, there isn't. (laughs) Yeah, here. Um... That's like the least sneaky ninja. Any, <laughs> reveal your hand and then he, now that now that I'm in play, yeah, I have ninjutsu. <laughs> other uh, other things effects that make it elapsing is it untaps one or more permanents you control, gives you additional phases. Uh, this one's like they're just like let's shove everything else in this next one. Exiles deals damage to destroys taps gives minus x minus y two or puts counters associated with a detrimental effect such as minus one minus one counters on one or more permanents controlled by an opponent. So basically, does anything bad to something of your opponent's. And final one is to inst- it instructs an opponent to exile a permanent he or she controls or put a permanent into his or her library or graveyard. So those are all the lapsing of or all the effects that make a, a triggered ability lapsing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a fake magic card called Forget-Me-Not that has a single triggered ability that does all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's a here's a thing that so we've had discussions where Battle Cry, for example, mm-hmm. gives creatures uh plus x plus y. Yep. And that's on this list. Yep. But that's not a lapsing ability. Nope. Well, it seems like it should be because it's on this list. CJ, please explain to me why it's not lapsing. I would love to. Really? Yes. Okay. Here I go. It's about to happen. Okay. All right. So we used to always have a policy that if a triggered ability does not affect the um, the visual representation of the game state, then we always assume that they resolved. And that that text is still in the IPG. That hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, two things have to be true for that to happen. First off, it can affect the visual representation of the game, which is what I just said. And according to the IPG, the visual, visual representation consists of elements the players are able to see happening, such as zone changes and adding counters to permanents, as well as life totals. So unless you're playing on MTGO, you can't see something getting plus one, plus zero. So it doesn't count. And then additionally, uh, it has to uh, require no choices. And, and an ability like Battlecry requires no choices. It's not a may. You don't need to choose a target. Nothing like that. So we just assume it resolved. So now now I'm going to ask you the fun question. You're a blade okay. hold? No. Okay. If the ability by itself is normally invisible with no choices, and therefore we assume that it uh, that it has occurred, why is it on this list? Uh, it is on this list. I'm going to take a stab at this. Okay. It's on this list because some of the other beneficial effects might, or not beneficial effects, I'm sorry, lapsing abilities uh, might include that. So let's say I have an ability that says 
target opponent discards a card and target creature you control gets plus X plus Y until end of turn, and I forget all of that. If it wasn't on this list, the whole thing wouldn't be a lapsing ability because uh, the plus X plus Y is not on the list. Yep. Yep. And then it's also good for the the cards that are um, uh, there's there's one bear I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's bear cub bear cub. Bear it cub. has morbid, and when it enters the battlefield, oh. target creature gets plus three plus three or plus two plus two until end of turn. And uh, because that requires a choice, that is a a lapsing ability. It doesn't fall under under all the rules we just said earlier. So you guys ready for some examples? I have one. Okay, go for it. Okay, so if I attack my opponent with Geist of Saint Traft, which says whenever Geist of Saint Traft attacks, put a 4-4 angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield tapped at attacking, mm-hmm. but I totally forget about that and space it off. Is that a lapsing Player. ability? Yes. That is a lapsing ability, even though sacrificing at the end, at the beginning of the end step is not one of those, sacrificing one of your own tokens is not something listed at, in the uh, list of lapsing abilities. Uh, it is lapsing because we evaluate what the trigger does, and then we ignore any parts of it that would have us clean up the trigger after the fact. And in this case, that's kind of cleaning up that token creation is to sacrifice it later. Okay, cool. That's really Sorry, cool. go on with the rest of your example. All right. I just wanted to throw that one out. I want to apologize to the judges in my Georgia Magic judge group because I'm just going to use the questions that I asked them. Uh, You're going to recycle judge questions for yeah. other judges? Yeah, I never do that. Every single question I ask a judge is original 100% of the time. Well, that's why you're just dunks. That's right. And, and, and suddenly we're involving questions with state lying. triggers for goblins <laughs> of the Florg and yeah. stuff like that. So let's say we have a guy and he casts uh, Armored Scob. And when Armored Scob enters the battlefield, you mill the top four cards of your library. Uh, he passes the turn onto his opponent and the turn, and then the guy passes it back. And then finally, when the player goes to attack with Armored Scob, he realizes that he never milled the cards. So how do we handle something like that today? To be clear there, it's been a turn cycle. That's what all those words meant. So he cast it in his first main phase, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Do, do you want me to take this one, Brian, or you want to you tackle this question? Okay. Oh, sorry. I was looking up Armored Scab because me and Standard... Uh, commons no so good. When he enters the battlefield, you mill four cards. I already said that. Yeah, oh. that's that's gee, that's all the triggered ability. Brian, does. what? Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, so this was this. He put it in during his first combat, yeah. uh, his pre-combat main, and now we are in his next turn's combat. Yeah. Whoa. So the first question is: Is that Done. is that lapsing, milling four cards? Let's see here. Let's see, it causes life, deal damage, causes discard, look at rearrange cards in his own, nope, put cards into your hand, graveyard from the battlefield, permanent, blah, 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 blah. I don't see it on the list anywhere, so no, it is not lapsing. Correct. Not lapsing. Not lapsing. All right. But it's been more than a turn cycle. It's been more than a turn cycle, so what do we do? You put this trigger in the hell vault. (laughs) Oh, man, I thought I was about to get to correct you, Jess, and then... He went on a curve there. Basically, you just remind the player to be more careful with his triggers and play on. Yep. Do absolutely nothing. You don't give any penalty. You don't put the trigger on the stack. You just do nothing. But you do remind the player that he needs to be more careful with his triggers because he is responsible for doing this. Yes. When I say do nothing, I don't mean walk up to the table, say nothing, and then walk away. That would be the best. That would be the best ever. Judge. And you just kind of walk up and he's like, I didn't. 
I didn't know my cards, and you just kind of look at him and nod <laughs> and just leave. All right. I have another question. Um, Adam controls Black Cat, and Black Cat says uh, whenever Black Cat dies, target opponent discards a card at random, and he attacks his opponent, Nadine. Uh, the Black Cat is blocked and dies. In his post-combat main phase, Adam realizes Nadine should have discarded a card and calls a judge. What do you do? So so he attacked with Black Cat and it died, and now we're in the post-combat main phase, right? Yep. Okay, well, uh, this ability causes an opponent to discard cards, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's at random. Yep. And uh, he missed it at the appropriate time, and now we're past that part of the turn, the combat part of the turn. So we don't issue a penalty, and we don't put the trigger on the stack, because it is a lapsing ability. Yep, sounds great. <laughs> This lapsing ability stuff isn't so hard when uh, I have the list in front of me. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> truthfully, when I judge, I'm going to have the list in front of me for a while. Yeah, you know? and you absolutely should. Yeah. When you judge, you should have this list in front of you. So uh, don't, however, if you do, and this this is something I think uh, Toby said on IRC, maybe even the article, uh, if you do screw up, um, you know, ob- obviously try to try to be correct, but if you do screw up, and put a lapsing trigger on the stack that's not supposed to, uh, or if you do put a lapsing trigger on the stack, don't sweat it too, too much because that was a trigger that was supposed to happen. I mean, that's, that is the worst case in the screw up is something that was supposed to happen happened. OMG. Yeah. Yep. Again, you know, go through the list, learn it, uh, learn it, love it, live it. Uh, but if, you know, in the off chance you do, uh, you do, Make a mistake, not the end of the world. Yep. So let's let's do just a few more just to get to get the point across. My next question was that I have a spirit token die this turn due to whatever. Who cares? I cast Festerhide Board past the turn. On your turn, I realize my board should have counters on it, and I call a judge. Festerhide Board has a uh, morbid, and it says Festerhide Board enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it if a creature died this turn. Let's see here. Let's check the list and oh. see what's on there. <clears throat> ha 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 ha. Um, so this puts counters on a creature that are linked to a beneficial effect, and, and that is just their plus one, plus one counters. That's a good thing, unless your opponent has a smite monsters in hand. But generally, it's a good thing. So if this, that is a lapsing trigger, so we are not going to put it on the stack, and we're not going to issue it. Brian, do you agree with that? Is that a trigger? Oh, is that a trigger or a replacement effect? I'm sorry, would you read read to me uh, yeah, what Fester, Fester says? Fester Hardbore enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on. Oh, wow, I really blew that one. Uh, yeah. So, that's, so that's, Fester Hardbore is a replacement effect. Yes, that's not the trick. A trigger. And you guys mocked me for looking up Armored Scab. <laughs> Scob. Scob, and when I was like, when I was like, oh, Festerhide Boar, yeah, okay, lapsing, I better look up that card. Oh. Yeah, and, well, you know, at least yeah, and I you, know and what you Festerhide Boar does, and you're just like, Armored Scab, I don't even Armored know what that card looks like. Well, no, it's, it's a guy that crosses a picket line. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have laughed at that. Yeah, that was always <laughs> tricky, because you throw it in the middle of a bunch of trigger questions, and you're like, here's this. Right, yeah. Well, okay, so so what do we do in those situations where we have a replacement effect that looks like a trigger, but it's uh-huh. not? Uh, that works for that, works for bloodthirst, and stuff like that. So so how do you handle that? Well, basically... Uh, you, see see I, how I turned that around there? Yeah, thanks. It's, it's a game <laughs> rule violation, and, and you just need to determine whether or not you can reasonably rewind. Um, and this, in my situation, it was basically the absolute most basic situation where I cast the guy, I pass the turn, and on your turn... 
realized it. I didn't even say where on your turn. We'll say after you drew a card. To me, that feels like you could rewind that. Um, yeah. So I would take, if you are the other player, I would take a random card from your hand, put it on top of your library, and rewind back to when the Fester Hide Boar entered the battlefield. And this time I'd have it enter with the two plus one plus one counters. So so this is this is the only, I'll say the only real concern that I have uh with is cards like this with with the IPG that we need to be careful with is the fact that educating players as much as we can at the at the FNM level and at the GPT level and stuff like that as to what is and is not a trigger because this does or can look like a trigger at a glance or it feels like a trigger or something like that and opponents might just be like oh well I don't have to say anything about that yeah, and that's when you start getting into getting into problems. That's fraud, Bill. Yeah. So there, there is, there is the the expectation that you know and be able to identify as a player what a trigger is. So please, 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 when, whenever, and at those are triggers. You know, other stuff. I have a question. Okay. So if I control a giant spider. And you control some guys, and I slag storm and kill all of your guys. And then I attack with giant spider, and my opponent plays snapcaster mage, or ambush viper, or something, and blocks. And we put the, the blocking creature in the graveyard, but we forget about the damage from slag storm on your giant spider, and uh-huh. we move into the next turn, and, and the player calls a judge at the, at, uh, during combat in the next turn, it says, Judge, this guy shouldn't be in play anymore. What what do we do? How do you handle that? Yeah, and my, my initial reaction when you were asking was to be like, well, we need to determine if we can rewind again. But actually, we got a new exception to GRVs added to the rules with the last IPG that allows us, if, if something is in the wrong zone, we can move it right back out of that zone and just kind of fix it. So in this case, we can just put the giant spider straight into the graveyard. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think... That this, the wording on it is a little bit confusing because it, it says if an object is in the wrong zone, mm-hmm. and then it says put the permanent in the correct zone. So I'm not sure if they're referring to only permanents on the battlefield or not. Uh, but, but, uh, I think that, that other than that, this is an excellent change to the IPG, and I'm very glad that I don't have to rewind the game in those kinds of situations. Yeah, I believe I've heard Toby mention it with Green Sun Zenith, so I, I think they mean object, not permanent. Right. I assume they mean object. Pretty sure, yeah. Uh, because of, because of the Zeniths, uh, situation. But, uh, it's currently not worded that way. Yeah. So, noticing that now, I'm probably gonna have to send an email to some people and say, hey, is this right? Uh, so the next time we record JudgeCast, I will give you a, a an answer from on high about. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. No. People got back, but it just means object, not permanent. So if it's a green sun zenith in the graveyard, you can move it. Etc. Yeah. So I have Charmbreaker Devils, which I will read, but you might want to look it up also. And it says a couple of things. First off, it says at the beginning of your upkeep, return an instant or sorcery card at random from your graveyard to your hand. And then also it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Charmbreaker Devils gets plus four plus zero until end of turn. I, I have him in play. I cast Lightning Bolt to your face, and then I go into Declare Attackers. At this point, I realize, A, that my Devils should have gotten plus four plus zero, and B that I should have returned an instant or sorcery at during my upkeep. So I didn't do either of his triggers. How do we handle this? Okay, so uh, you didn't do the trigger during the upkeep. 
mm-hmm. and you didn't do the trigger at some point between then and combat when you bolted me, and yep. now you're attacking me with him, right? Yep. We're in combat. Okay, well, that's two different triggered abilities, so let me handle them one at a time. Yep. Uh, the first one is causing you to put a card to, into your hand from your graveyard. Uh, that means that it is a lapsing ability. And since we have moved from the upkeep to the main phase to combat, it it is now too late to put that on the stack. Yeah. No matter who calls it out. They're not in that same third of the turn. Yeah, I, I, let's say I'm the opponent, and, and, you, and you have Tarmogoyf. You're playing Charmbreaker Devils and Tarmogoyf, that hot tech. And uh, I really want you to return it. Can you do it? Uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't believe you can. No. It has to be called yeah, out in that cannot. first third of the turn. It has to be called out in that, that first third of the turn. Um, so what if what if you call a judge, though, earlier than that? Like after the upkeep, but before combat? Right. Is Me? this? I'm pretty sure that being, you being the player who missed your own lapsing trigger. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's still too late. But we're still in the same part of the turn. Why is it too late? Yeah. It's basically treated just like you would treat a May trigger, except you have to call it out. But uh, it's basically treated the same way, whereas if I had just chosen not to do it. Lapsing abilities, if you're the player who missed the trigger... I mean, you basically can't miss the trigger if you want it to happen. So, so Keeping track of your triggers is a skill we want to test. Yes. Exactly. That's an excellent way to put that. Now, for the second trigger, the plus, uh, plus four, plus oh, uh, this has nothing to do with lasting abilities, since, as you mentioned earlier, this does not have a visual representation on the game state. Yep. Uh, we just assume it happened and say, this creature already has plus four, plus zero. Yep. Sounds great. All right, I got two more, and I think they get in. They get into more of the uh, the nitty gritty of this kind of stuff. But let's go. Okay, ahead and well, do let's it. let's power through over real quick. Yeah, uh, one is let's say player A has a Mox Ruby because he's doing great, and then player B has any artifact with Shroud. Unfortunately, I don't know one off the top of my head. Just an artifact with Shroud. Charger Sphinx. Jar. That's not an artifact. So player oh. A. You said a creature with Shroud, right? No, I didn't, Prime Prilliman. You need to get one of those giant cone things that you put up to your ear oh. so that you can hear what people are saying. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I couldn't hear you over all the smug that's coming over the line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's from me. My bad. Um, <laughs> all right. I cast Manic Vandal, which is like the poster child of the of these new triggers. So you have a trigger that has Shroud. What? I have a trigger that has Shroud? Yeah. Yeah, shroud trigger. You also have an artifact with shroud. And Manic Vandal okay. reads whenever when Manic Vandal enters the battlefield, destroy target artifact. So the question is, is this a lapsing trigger? And this one's actually harder than the other ones. So, okay, so let me make this clear that that do both players have an artifact to play? Yes. Okay, so both players have an artifact to play. But the opponent I play Manic has Vandal. Yes. I'm sorry? The opponent has both players have an artifact. The opponent has an artifact. The only his only artifact has shroud. Right. Okay. And then play manic manic vandal does the whole uh, thing about uh, what is it lapsing ability? Uh, if the opponent, you know, in the example in the IPG, right. it's like if he has a if he has an artifact, then it's it's lapsing. If he doesn't, then it's not. Uh, yeah. This this but. is definitely still a lapsing ability. The lapsing ability issue doesn't ask us as judges to decide, you know, could it target that? Well, it, it, it doesn't ask us at all if it could target it. It just says, actually, it might ask. It I might actually yeah. literally says could target. Yeah. Could target. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm reading the Manic Vandal. If they control, uh, control valid targets. Okay, so Shroud doesn't make it lapsing, but Indestructible would. Okay, good yeah. to know. 
Right. Yeah, it's 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 actually exactly what you said. I actually got this wrong. I had to run to Toby and I was like, Toby, tell these guys I'm right. And then I was wrong. <laughs> Don't yeah. you love it when it works that way? When you yeah. get they just like, hey, I was going to sing James Blunt's You're Beautiful to Toby, but he didn't earn that because he didn't tell me I was right. Oh, well, you can sing it to me. Yeah, beautiful. <clears throat> there we go. Yeah, beautiful. It's true. I know all the words, but I'm not going to go any further. Than that, appreciated right now. that that's yeah. that's appreciated. Can so, it be in the in the post show little blurb that gets recorded and posted at the end of the episode? Because um, no, I'd like I'd like to hear more. Um, no. So just to be a hundred percent clear here, this trigger is not considered lapsing because it cannot destroy one of your opponents. It can target target. It cannot target one of your opponent's artifacts. If 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 your opponent had like dark steel mirror or anything indestructible. It would be a lapsing trigger, but in this case, it's not. I hope I hope I'm clear enough on that one. So, very I last one. I you're clear enough on that one. All right, great. Very last one, and this one, uh, in my opinion, is the trickiest of them all. Uh, is basically Devil's Secrets, which reads: At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card if an instant or sorcery card is revealed this way. Transform Devil of Secrets. Uh, the question is: Is his trigger a lapsing trigger? Uh, yeah. Is that a yeah? Like it is a lapsing trigger? It's, I don't. It's a, it's a yeah. Like uh, is correct. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with it is not a lapsing trigger. Brian, do you have an opinion? I don't see it on the list. No, there's. Which part? Yeah, so it's got the the non-optional part. Okay, so it's got it's got a mandatory action. Which just let me get Delver. Up. Okay, Delver of Secrets. So it has a it has a it has a mandatory. Uh, it has a mandatory look at the, uh, at the beginning of your upkeep. Look at the top card of your library, and then you have a may, which is you may do something. I would say that this is lapsing. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with not lapsing because I don't think that that's a visual. I don't think that has a visual impact on the game state. Yeah, uh, in fact, this is lapsing because. Really? The only thing you're forced to do in it is uh, look at the top card of your library. So basically, if this was like a, a missed trigger, we, we kind of just assume they chose no to the May part, and we remove that entirely from the uh, from the equation of evaluating whether or not it's lapsing. So yeah, the, the only kind of that's kind of where I was going. It's real awkward, but it's, it's, it's sort of like Delver is specifically an example in Toby's article. So I know this is correct, uh, and and. I'm going to be honest, like from reading the IPG, I don't think you would pick up on this alone. I, I think no. this is one of the oddest uh, interactions that we have right now. But basically you ignore everything after the May, all the optional parts, and you only look at what's left. And what's left is looking at the top card of your library, which is part of the lapsing abilities. It's good. Okay. It instructs you to look at or rearrange cards on its own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That one's uh, that one's a little wild. Okay. So we just, just yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to delve into corners with that one. I could easily, no pun intended, delve, delve into secrets. Uh, oh, <laughs> but, that was horrible. You know, it wasn't that horrible. It was. It was pretty bad. Uh, it was great. I love it. Well, you love bad puns. I so love puns. You're biased. A little bit. Does anyone else want to talk about any more lapsing of triggers? Or do you, no. I think we covered it. Yeah. God, no. Please. This, this, this dead horse has been beaten. I know, but I still see so many people messing it up. Like... It, it was at the, at the judge conference. It was it was talked about and talked about and talked about. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 talked about. It. I, I think it's probably it's just going to get people to go over it, to go over it, to go over it. Yeah. All right. So to wrap up the show, I I thought it'd be helpful to those who who listen to kind of cover some resources that are out there to help someone improve as a judge. Uh, this won't take long because it's mostly just a list of things. And then I will give all the links to all this stuff uh, out in the show notes when this is uh, when this is published so that so that you can go find all these things. And if you guys have any comments on all the on any of these resources, just let me know. Um, and I'll start with one of my favorites, which is IRC, which I know who uses IRC anymore. Come on, man. Get with the 90s. Apparently judges do. <laughs> uh, there's two oh. IRC channels that, that judges use, uh, MTG Judge and MTG Rules. Both are on the FNet server. If what I'm saying sounds insane to you, like you have no idea what I'm saying, I'm going to post a link in, in the show notes that will automatically log you in through a web browser and log you into these two rooms, and you don't have to do anything but put in your your username. Uh, it's IR- magic. It's fantastic, and it's called Vivid. I love IRC. Like I know Brian Prilliman is on there all the time. Are you ever on, Jess? No, never. Yeah. You should. I, I have used the IRC exactly once. The IRC. The IRC. I've used the IRC. <laughs> the IRC. Yes. The Internet Relay. I, I, okay. To be more specific, I have used the Judge Channel on the IRC exactly once. Is that better? Yes. Uh, Not really, because I still said the IRC, but whatever. MTG Judge is a room where all the judges are hanging out, and you can kind of you can talk to them. Uh, you can generally talk about anything. There are some rules uh, that are listed in the topic of the room. You can read those, but uh, in particular, if you have any judging-related questions, that's a great place to go and get a lot of feedback. Um, and then MTG Rules is where you can go if you have any rules-specific questions. Uh, there's usually a bunch of judges there willing to answer basically anything. As long as you're not too corner yeah. casey. So the the rules room is strictly for CR stuff. Uh, the yeah. MTG judge is for policy discussions and chats and discussion as to what baked goods you like to eat. Yeah, and, and soccer when soccer is going on. Apparently, uh, and I'm, and football a lot until they spawned off MTG NFL. NFL. Yeah, a lot of football talk. Yeah. Really. MTG NFL. There's an MTG code yes, where they is. all just sit in there and don't talk about anything, but it's supposed to be for talking about coding. There's also a channel for Florida judges. I don't know. Shh. I should share that. Shh. Secrets. Um, That's an invite-only room right there. No, it's not. You're right. It's not. <laughs> it's just... I, I'm on there all the time. My username is Siegesteak, C-E-E-J-S-T-E-A-K, and Brian's on there a ton, too. It's, his username is Bpril, yeah. uh, which is why you might hear me call him that every once in a while. But I, I can't reckon, recommend IRC enough. I, I think it's it's great. Uh, the next resource I have written down here is going to your regional coordinator. Your particularly if you're like a level one judge, your regional coordinator is in charge of knowing who's who in your region. Um, if you don't know who your regional coordinator is, I will post a link in the show notes. Although if you're in the southeast, I know it's Justin Turner, and if you're in just Dunk's part of the woods, I know it's Sean Cadenese, and everything in between there, I have no idea. But I'll post it's a link here. Look that up. Kevin Zwanger, yep, he's between. Jared Silva's straight north of us. Uh-huh. And and the northwest, I believe, is uh, Aaron Hamer. All right, we're getting there. Canada is Kyle Rick. Kyle Rick. Yep, and we have uh See, Dan now we're going to look bad because we're going to leave, probably going to leave, like, one person out. I know. Dan Stevens, uh, uh, Sean Dardry. Listening, listening a bunch of names oh, is really oh. thrilling podcasting. Well, then, you know what? <laughs> All I would say is you could contact your regional coordinator, and he can put you in 
or she could put you in contact with somebody yeah. who who's really knowledgeable, who's someone who's just willing to help you out. Particularly if you're a level one, or especially if you're if you're a level zero, or someone interested in becoming a judge, uh, the regional coordinator who can hook you up with someone who can help you out. There are about two thousand and eight websites that have judge relevant information. I put a few here. Uh, one of the big ones is Cranial Insertion. Cranialinsertion.com. They just recently got their own website. They every week they post just a big list of of rules questions. I, I read this weekly. I, I think it's it's a great way to help you improve as a judge. Um, I like to read it and then see if I can guess the answer. And I used to not do so well at it, and now I do pretty well at it thanks to reading it forever. That's that's run by a uh, Carson Hesse, uh, Eli Schifrin, and that other. And guy. now, starting very soon, one uh, James Bennett. I didn't know that. Is that secret? Yes. Uh, he announced it today on IRC. IRC, you should be on IRC. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, w- I would know it if I was on IRC. You I would. Know. Oh, and you I guys actually... cut, cut me off before I could uh, say Stephen Briggs. Burp, burp. Yeah. You done listing names? Yes. All right. On the long list. I mean, are you about, sure about? you're done listing names? Yeah. Well, I mean, we could go into Central South America and Europe. What about and all like, Europe? We got... Um, Let's not start. Don't get him started. No. We've got Uther, Uther, Huge. Say, say Flame's name. Other judge. Say it wrong. Yo, Johanna. Burton. I don't Flame. 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 An IRC. Anyway, Justin Turner, our regional coordinator, he wrote a series of articles. He doesn't write anymore, but he wrote a series on gathering magic that, uh, I thought was pretty good. Uh, useful ways to, to help you improve the judge. Um, Ricardo Tessitore, level five judge and, Italian and short short wearer on a bicycle. He uh has a <laughs> weekly article over at blackborder.net. I think those are, are always great to read because he's level five, so he can't be wrong. When he's wrong, the rules just change to accompany it. <laughs> There's also a wiki. We have a, a wiki being run um by a bunch of judges. It's wiki.internationalmagicjudges.com. Uh net. Uh oh. And I have to go to it. Oh, it's dot net. Oh no! I'm not good at this internet thing. I can't even begin to go to like how much stuff is on that wiki. It's full. You kind of have to dig in there a little bit, but there's so much stuff you can find. Uh, it's got your uh, your judge it, levels. It's got how to run an eight man. It's got an index of every article that judges have written since a while back. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's does it it's tell me how to use the IRC. Yes, it does. <laughs> it tells you how to use the IRC. Uh, and, and one secret I've learned is that you can just type in magicjudges.net. You don't have to type in international, because I feel like that URL is way too long. This is, this is what, what Jess, Jess calling it the IRC. When I was a little kid, my parents used to refer to it as the HBO. <laughs> Because it was home box, box office. office. Home yeah, box office. I guess that's yeah, that's correct. I'm gonna go. I just got me the HBO on the cable box. <laughs> on the cable. I just got the. There's the so IRC many things on, wrong man. with that sentence. <laughs> I just, I just got me the IRC on this here pooter. <laughs> Sometimes my, uh, I have relatives. I won't call them out that ask me for help with things that they're doing on that internet. That internet. <laughs> that internet. Because the internet's actually on the computer. It's over there, that internet. <laughs> yeah. There's a wealth of applications for those of us who have grown up phones. I, I know I use Android and I think you do too, Jess. Is that correct? I do have a, uh, a Motorola Droid. Yeah. And Brian, you're on, do you have an iPhone? 
I have an iPhone, yes. Yeah. On the Android, I have personally used MTG Judge, which is by Alexi Gusev. 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 I use that for looking up stuff on the IPG, uh, comp rules, things like that. Uh, I feel like it's very good for that. Also, Karsten Hesse. Hesse. Um, he has, well, I thought it was Hayes until he was on that other podcast that we don't talk about. And, uh, and he kept saying Hesse. Uh, he's written a couple of apps that you can find in, in the wiki. And one is a decklist counter. And don't tell Alexi this, but I kind of prefer his decklist counter over Alexi's, the one in MTG Judge, uh, mostly because it has a running total and it keeps a history of all the buttons you've pressed. Um, some people you actually should tell Alexi this because if there's things he can improve, he probably will. Like he's actually constantly improving that app. True. So if you tell him what you like better about other apps, there's a very good chance that his app will incorporate it in the near future. If Alexi doesn't already listen to us, then he doesn't get to know. Okay, that's oh, my rule. Snap. <laughs> but a lot of you know, some people don't like to use deck list counters. Uh, I really like them whenever I'm doing deck checks. At a tournament, do you use them, Brian? I I use um, yeah on the iPhone the the two the two apps that I predominantly use is MTG uh, Judge, which is Alexi's app, and MTG Guide. Mm-hmm. Predominantly, I use MTG Judge for the draft timer and the uh, decklist counter. So yeah, I use I use the decklist counter a lot. I just put it there and just hit it. So the decklist counter, all it is is like an adding machine. Yeah. You know, that they that you know the the old timey uh, accountants use. Only it's just got four buttons: one, two, three, four. Yep. And you just sit there and you type in, you know, and you just hit the buttons. And if you've got like red deck wins, and you're just like mashing four. Yeah. And if four, you've got four, a four, birthing, four. if you've got a birthing pod deck, then you're one, 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 one. Yeah. So it's uh. So it's, so what do you do when you get to basic lands? Um, like, nine is four, four, one. Yeah. You just do that. Okay. Or I just I just wait until I get to the end, and I was like, oh, 11 planes. I look at the number, and I'm like, 49. Got it. Yeah, that's actually what I do. I, I count up the basic lands just in my head, and then add it to whatever my running number was. Do you use a deckless counter, Jess? Uh, I tend to not. I've tried to use the uh, deckless counter in NTG Judge, mm-hmm. and, and it's a good program. But I find that I, I find that I prefer to do it without a deckless yeah. counter. Yeah. Some people do. Uh, I, I prefer it with. But either way, you know. So those those out there Mc, who haven't tried it yet, I'd say McDole. Crushes me in counting lists. Well, he's a math teacher. He, he, isn't he? Yes, he a teacher. Teach? He, yeah. he's a professor. Oh, excuse me. So, I mean, well, still, you know, for, for stuff, and he just, he just looks at me as I'm like mashing my numbers in, and he's just like, I'm Brian, I mum numbers math no good, her <laughs> calculator need help. Well, uh, how long did it take you to learn calculators once they invented them? <laughs> Well, you know, it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of hard switching to the, the whole electronic thing. I'm so used to using an abacus. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of knew where that joke was going. Yeah, it was. <laughs> All right. Uh, Carson has another app. He has an Oracle lookup app. Um, I also prefer it for looking up Oracle text. Uh, I like that it, it actually downloads the, um, the, the cards offline and prevents, uh, shows them in like a text version. So when a new set comes out, all you have to do is update the database. You don't have to wait for an update of the app to come through, um, the app market or anything like that. So I, I prefer his too, also because I asked him to add the band list and then he did and that was great. Um, on the iPhone, the only ones I've heard people talk about are the MTG Judge and MTG Guide apps, which is exactly what 
Brian just talked about? I use, I use MTG. I mean, MTG guide is, in, in my opinion, an awesome, awesome. It's different from MTG judge. MTG judge is free. So I gotta, I gotta hand it to Alexi for, for doing all this work and putting something out there for free for judges to use. Uh, MTG guide is like three, four bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also are done by, uh, I think this was one of the apps that Sean Cantonese kind of, uh, uh, put some, put some juice behind back when he was doing the show, like gave out like some free promo codes for it, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. And the, the other thing that I really, 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 really like about MTG guide is when a new MTR, new IPG hits, this app's got the updates within like 24 hours kind of thing, whereas MTG Judge kind of lags behind by a few weeks. Yeah. A user on our Facebook group was kind enough to send in an app for Windows phones because I, I don't have one, but uh, he calls it, it's called MTG Bugs, and it is an app that would let you, it also allows you to look up Oracle text offline. It's kind of funny that an application would be called Bugs on a Windows phone. Is it? No, it's not. that makes perfect sense. Oh, okay. I'll take none well, of this I mean, Windows fast. <laughs> It wasn't like window. It wasn't like funny, haha. Or... I, I know. <laughs> and another thing for for those of us um, with any form of smartphone, uh, Ryan Stapleton actually every time a new IPG, MTR, comp rules, all that stuff comes out, he converts them to an e-reader format on his website, which I will post. It's like Blue Sky Blue Wizard, Wizard or something like that. So you can get any old e-reader app. There's so many out there. You have to just research your own and, and use that to look up the, the comp rules. Although, personally, I, I would prefer MTG Judge for that or MTG Guide. Other resources. We have the judge list and the rules list. Uh, sometimes the judge list in particular can get a little... Does anyone have a nice way to say this? No. Nope. Crowded? Noisy? Um, sometimes there's just stuff yes, on there. Noisy is an excellent word. I think noisy is is the way to say it. Um, yeah, the signal to noise ratio is not always good. Always. Yes, but every once in a while something great comes out of there. Particularly if you see an email who where an L5 sent it, those are the ones you should read, and generally you'll get good information from that. Also, I wanted to mention uh, the pet project. I believe it's like David De La Iglesias and, and Ben McDowell's project of Knowledge Pool, where they send out a oh, question. Oh, uh, David, yeah. David, yes. I just call him David. I call him Dave. So I, I would recommend particularly a lot of those questions are aimed at L1s, but it's it's questions meant to be a discussion topic for everyone. And, and I would look out for those if, if I was on the mailing list. Uh, also, if you're on the judge list, I would recommend that you get off of digest mode because you make you make yes. yourself look really dumb when you reply uh, to the digest. So please do that, even if the, you get more mails. The other the other thing is because digest mode comes out once a day. Mm-hmm. Here, actually, here, here I'll, I'll give probably the the best advice I can for for on judge list. Read all the other emails in the thread yes. before you reply. You know, if you open up an email and you read it and you're like, "Hey, this guy's wrong." You know, and you write a reply, maybe check to see if someone else has already replied to it. Yep. Or, or another four people have replied to it, or nine. Yeah. Um, before you, before you do that, just, that's, that's, that's probably my pet peeve. And another thing is, uh, there's, at the bottom of every email on the judge list, I believe, there's a, there's a link to the judge protocol. And I feel like a lot of people don't read that. I, I think you should check that out. Um, most 
mainly if someone's asking for an official answer to something, don't pipe in with your your opinion of it. If they straight out ask for an official answer, then that means we just wait for an official answer to come. Yeah, an official answer means from someone who gives official answers, not you happen to know the official answer, so give it. Yes. Uh, There are certain people that give official answers. The other thing about this list is if somebody says ping, don't answer the email. Just don't respond. If it says test the list, just stop responding. There's nothing to say. Pong is only funny the first time, barely. All right. Other resources is there are other judge-related podcasts out there. I mean, no, there are no. I don't know what you're talking about. There's, there's something. Uh, the Judge Center is a great resource. I, I know I used it thoroughly when I when I was studying to become L1 and, and L2. Uh, there's practice tests all over the place in the Judge Center. You can also contact other judges in your area if you needed to. If if you're an L0, you want to find a level two, that'd be a great way to do it. Or you could just contact your regional coordinator, like I said earlier. On Facebook, there is a judge study group where people will post interesting questions and have some discussion over them. Um, even if you never want to participate, I think it's nice to be a part of the group because then you can read everybody's questions and just kind of learn from them. Yeah, there's a lot of even even then there's a lot of regional groups like there's there's southeast and Georgia and the Midwest yeah. and and stuff like that. So even if you're not comfortable in like a large study group you know get you can get involved with your with at least the guys in your state and then maybe you know, maybe the only thing that comes out of it is you learn uh, you know you, you talk to some of the guys maybe you get on a ptq staff or something like that yeah. or or uh, um you know 1k or something you know, uh, you know you start on, the, uh, on the california list that happens a lot where somebody needs somebody to help out at like a grand prix trial or a PTQ, and they'll put a call out on the California Facebook group uh, uh, for judges and ask for help. And there are people who who kind of definitely advance themselves as judges by, by helping out with those and yeah. learn all kinds of stuff from that judge group. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and your regional coordinator will most likely know if you have a regional judge group that you can join. Yeah. The, the, other, the other thing is that all of these um, resources, um, or most of them, uh, IRC, the the Facebook groups, uh, Judge List, those are also ways that um, you can interact with judges, like actually talk to other judges outside of your store. So mm-hmm. if you are an L1, uh, I'm going to say if you're an L1 out in, you know, with no other stores around you, you know, an hour away from nothing, you know, hour away from anything in any direction, and you feel kind of isolated, um, get involved in these groups, get get in, and you'll be pulled into the larger judge community, like, because this, this, this kind of stuff is actually pretty infectious. And you'll get pulled into it and you can start, you can start learning and helping others learn and people take notice of that kind of thing. And who knows, you might find yourself being asked to come to, you know, Hey, there's a PTQ in this city that's two hours away. Do you want to come work that? Or maybe when someone's staffing a GP, you know, the RC will be like, Hey, I see this guy. He's doing great mentorship on Facebook. He's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Really love to get him, you know, some big event experience. I think he's earned it, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so like you actually there's a ahead. lot of upside. You so actually, sorry, I thought you were done, and then no, I'm just gonna keep 
always cut Brian off. Okay. So you actually said the thing that I want to talk about next, uh, as far as resources go, is uh, mentorship. If you're a judge and somebody else wants to be a judge or they're interested in the rules and you have the opportunity to mentor somebody, you will learn a lot from that because they will ask you questions that you do not know the answer to. Yep. And, and you will have to go find it either from somebody else or one of these resources we're talking about or just looking it up in the comprehensive rules. You, you, you will really have uh, a lot that you learn by mentoring somebody else. Somebody will ask you a question like, how would you handle the situation? And you'll go, well, I've never had that situation and you'll figure it out. Uh, and that's a really great way to learn things is just by teaching somebody else. Yep. And, and, uh, that's definitely one of the ways that I learned a lot in the judge program. Yeah. One thing I did was I used these, um, on the wiki, you can find these judge classes and I got a bunch of, um, L zeros together and I was like, listen guys, I'm going to try to run these judge classes online for you guys. I'll say in the end, probably running the judge classes online is not the best idea. It's really meant for face to face, but that was the next resource I wanted to bring up was the judge classes. Uh, you can go to the wiki and look up these judge classes, which were created by, I know it was by the Florida judges. Brian, do you know if it was a specific person? Um, basically the Tampa guys. Yeah. Uh, Copeland, Turner, Ben, Fortino, I think George Fitzgerald, um, you know, authored them, ran them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that uh, right now, uh, I think it was Copes and Crooks did uh, at the at the judge conference. They were looking for ideas, looking for feedback, suggestions on how to make them better. And there is something nebulous in the works uh, to to try and improve them. Yeah, uh, there's a big push because right now they're just. I, I like text. text. Yeah, Nebulous is awesome. Yeah. Uh, these classes are meant yeah, I felt for those. It sounds futuristic, like Star Trek. I've watched Star Trek all day today. Captain, but the, 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 the classes are, are very nebulous. <laughs> nebulous. Uh, these judge classes are meant to take you basically from like L0 judge to level one. But I find that A, going over them with other people is very helpful. And then B, even if you're already level one, I'd still read through them because I think there's a thing or two in there that could teach you, particularly because Every lesson has a, a little uh, quiz at the end meant to, meant to test your knowledge on that lesson. And I think going through all that could really help somebody progress as a judge. The the final thing to note here is we have uh, judge conferences, which we've discussed a few times. Uh, I think the conference is a, bit, is a great way to improve as a judge, particularly if you're a level one. Um, if you're level three, you probably should just be presenting at the conference. And so even, if you're, even if you're level two or some level ones, yeah. Could be presenting at conferences. And this goes back into that mentorship thing. If there's a topic you're passionate about or know a lot about and you want to present at a conference, get in touch with the people who are, who are running that conference and say, Hey, I have this topic that I know a lot about that I think other judges can learn from. Yeah. Well, and they'll, hey. they'd love to have you. They'll have you. Like, how do I know a conference is coming? Why? You just talk to your regional coordinator would be an easy way to do it. Or, or you could. Go to DCI Family, probably. DCI Family. DCI Family. I forgot to put that on our list. Uh, DCI Family is is a great place to look for upcoming GPs. Star City puts their events on there, and, and it's kind of it has a little bit of a forum. I'll, truthfully, it's not that used. Uh, the uh, the forum is not that used, but so many tournament organizers are now starting to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star City Games uses it for their events. We've already used it for the GPs. 
Uh, I know that Channel Fireball is using it for their events, uh, starting with the, the World Magic Cup qualifier they're having, and there's uh, a lot of other organizers that are starting to use it for, for various events. So if, if you're looking for an event to judge, that's the place to go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. ECI family and log in and, and see what, what is available that you can go to. When you log in, you're going to get a message that like the license is expired and, it, and it's going to try to take over your computer with viruses or something, but it's fine. Just click continue. Yeah, just, yeah, ignore that warning just that tells you something bad will happen. Sorry. Yeah. It'll have, it's fine. <laughs> that's uh that's uh to keep all the non judges away. Yeah. Yeah. For security. Um if you for DCI <laughs> family, if you're level zero, you can get an account to be able to apply to events, but you can't do anything else in there. And if you're level one or above, you can just apply to join. And if you aren't um approved pretty quickly, you should log on to IRC and then you can contact somebody who has the privileges to be able to approve you or you can contact me and I'll try to help you out but I can't approve you. All right, that's all the resources that I had and it's a ton of them. There is the the biggest the biggest one is um actually not even just the wiki just internationalmagicjudges.net. Yes. has is like a portal into into not only the wiki but like all these regional judge websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh basically everything in I'm going to put a different link languages. Up. Yeah, everything I'm going to put a link up for, you could find a link for on the wiki, I bet. Basically, everything is already there. So that, that's the place to start. And then I would say IRC, personally, has been the next most helpful thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with IRC. However, we're we're biased. A little bit. We are a little bit biased that IRC is the best thing since sliced bread because it's... it's... I, I would have to disagree because I don't really use it. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I'll check it out since you guys say it's such a great thing. Yay! We'll Yay! I'm going to go get on that there IRC. Great. Get on that there on the internets. On that internet. But hey, internet. speaking of the internet, we had a contest. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's in the hell vault. Uh, <laughs> our contest is in the hell vault. Yeah. But we want to announce our winner. Now... Uh, this contest, for those of you who just now started listening, is to give us your best other judge story. We got a few entries, and I'm going to read aloud the top two. Okay. Yeah. The winner, the runner-up, and then the winner? Yes. We'll just read the runner-up, then the winner. We we had a little pre-show meeting to discuss who who the winner was. Um, let me just say sorry to my buddy Nick Zinnemer. You are not the winner. He was the first guy ever certified, actually, and I ran him through the judge class classes, and he did very well. So, so what you're saying is, is he didn't win because his other judge story was about you, wasn't it? No, what? CJ. <laughs> so, actually, can I, can I, I have an other judge story? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Sure, okay. but not it's win. too late for the contest. Yeah. Well, sure. I figured that I wasn't gonna be able to be like, and the winner is me. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the Goblin Welder. Um, so I was, and this this was not at an event per se, but this was at at my store. Uh, I had a player tell me that uh, there is a card, Mirror Golem. You guys are probably going to have to look this card up, but um, uh, Mirror Golem is a card from I think I want to say Dark Steel. Dark Steel it looks like, and it has it has the imprint ability. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you may exile target card in, from a graveyard. 
Mirror Golem has protection from each of the exiled card type. So the 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 good card was in this block was an artifact creature, and then your guy gained protection from both artifacts and creatures. But this guy tried telling he was like, well, no, you can exile a sorcery, and then it can't be killed by Wrath of God. No. And I was like, no, that's not the not the way it works. And he's like, yeah, no, another judge told me. Huh. I was playing in an event. He he said I was playing in an event, and the judge told me that it didn't die to Wrath of God. And I just looked at him and I was like, what event? Could you possibly have been at where Wrath of God was being played and Mirror Golem? <laughs> because, I mean, granted they were in standard at the same time, but Mirror Golem was never constructed playable. Mirror Golem was kind of cool in, in, uh, in sealed draft whatever, or could be, you know, but, you know, Wrath of God wasn't in that said, but he was like, no, this judge told me that this, and I was like, this isn't how, that's not how protection works. He's like, I know how protection works. <laughs> like, well, clearly not. <laughs> Did you ever find out? What, who the other judge was? Yeah, or like what the event was? Oh, no, 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 because yeah. there wasn't one, yes, which is exactly. generally the, the, the thing about these, uh, other judge stories is the other judge doesn't exist. No, or the event or anything. Okay. It's just, it's just the thing I need to say in order to make me right. So our our runner-up is Brendan Hurst from Rockville, Maryland, MD, Maryland. Yes. He writes, hi, JudgeCast. My name is Brendan. I actually had this story happen to me around when I first started playing. It was one of the first times going to a local store to play as opposed to buying boosters and leaving. I was playing my casual green deck against someone who had Ravager Affinity. He was actually getting beaten down hard after mulliganing to five and on a crucial turn attempted to tap tap one of my creatures by regenerating it with his welding jar. Needless to say, I called a judge, since I might not have a DCI number, but I do know how regeneration works, and really does affinity need its cards to be better. Sadly, my opponent managed to convince the likely level 0 store judge that a judge at a PTQ he totally went he went to totally said that this was how it worked, and ruled in his favor. And afterwards, wouldn't even let me show him the section of the comp rules that explains regeneration. And then Brandon says that at least he won that match. There's a moral victory there, then. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you're a judge out there, I don't... Like, I don't know how I want to say this, but you shouldn't let a player convince you how something works without having a rule or something to look at. They are wrong more often than judges are. Well, yeah. Especially especially when it's it's totally... This, this other judge at a PTQ totally told me this. Yeah, he totally said it. Like, just because somebody says that doesn't mean it's true. When your judge is out there, watch out for the other judge. Yeah, but it is kind of, you know, the whole, yes, activating a regeneration ability on your creature taps it yeah. for me. I think regeneration would be a little bit broken. Yeah, it only taps when the regeneration shield actually does something. Prevents the death, the destruction of that creature. So I want to read our big winner. You guys ready? You excited? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Woo-hoo. I'm excited. Okay. I had to pee a little, but I think I can get through this, even though my excitement is so high. Let's just do it. This, our winner, is Alexander Rabkin. And daggers to me, he's from Israel. Oh. <laughs> but Yeah, I'm glad you put up the promo for yeah. this one, because I don't want to ship it to Israel. He won, though. He won. He had the best story. I like Before the show, I tried to make it someone else, but his is the best story. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, hi, love the show, and hope. And hope I'm on time for the contest. He starts off with, so the story isn't that good. 
but he's our winner, so whatever. But you need to get into the mindset of a really small community. He, he explains that in Israel, they apparently only have one L2, and then he's the only active level one. He was judging the WMCQ that just happened on Saturday, and the questions of proxies for damaged cards came up. A player said to him, and, and he's, he's translating from Hebrew here because he's in Israel, but he's, he's trying to keep it as close as possible. The player said to him, proxies aren't really that big of a deal. I was drafting at a pro tour and opened a viable card, so I asked the judge to issue a proxy so I wouldn't damage the card, and he issued one immediately at a pro tour. Uh, he says, I know it's not the best story, but actually it is, but I think you can appreciate the mindset of I'm a big shot who was the, at the PT, so I know better. So let's, let's just ask him real quick. How are proxies supposed to work at a, at any event? Yeah, any competitive event. Actually, just any event in general, right? Well, the only time you can issue proxies is whenever you a, want. <laughs> <laughs> the only time that the head judge, and it's only the head judge that can issue a proxy, and the only time they can do that is for cards that are damaged so much that they can't be played. Yep. Uh, through the course of play. So yep. you can't just come up to your event at the beginning of the event and go, I have this constructed deck, but half the cards are too damaged to play. Can you give me proxies? doesn't work. It has yep. to be something that was damaged either uh, in the course of play or, uh, you know, it, as part of your pool. Like, actually... Uh, Print cards. Right. Yeah. Or I had... Uh, I was at a PCQ that was Abyssin Sealed. Uh, or, sorry, not Abyssin Sealed. Innistrad Whoa. Sealed. <laughs> <laughs> Future cast. Ooh, That's like uh, that. it's just you know it's nebulous. Uh, so <laughs> so I was at a, a an Innistrad sealed event and I opened a foil mentor of the meat that was already warped the way foils sometimes are, but it was warped so much that even after I put it in a sleeve with the rest of my deck, if it was anywhere in the top half of the deck, it would it would pop up and I could see where it was. Mm-hmm. And this was this is too marked to use in the event, so I called the head judge and. Uh, and in that situation, you can issue a proxy. Uh, but you can't just go, oh, this card's really valuable. Can I get a proxy? Yeah. It's not, not going to work. Uh, and, and I think in particular, the reason why we like this story so much is because the guy says he's at a pro tour when right. this happened. And we just, we well, absolutely I was know. at the pro tour. And yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. And the judge issued one immediately. He just happened to have a yeah. planes and a Sharpie in his pocket and just <laughs> whipped it out. Like, and- whatever. It's a pro tour. Yeah. Well, you I, know, that's, that's, he only did it because this guy's such a pro tour big shot. Yeah. 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 So, so have any of you guys actually had to issue, uh, uh issue proxies? Yeah. Um, I have never had to issue a proxy. I've done two actually. I, I did one where all I did was I went to the, uh, the little box of cards where people dump their, their draft cards they don't want anymore. And I was just able to get another version of the card. Uh, this was, he opened a sealed pool and, and one of the cards had this mark on the front that, that was uh, distinguishable. So that was easy enough. And then I've had another one, which was actually the exact situation Jess just mentioned, where a foil came out so bent that it you could tell where it was in the deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just issued a proxy. And, and from then on out, the proxy kind of worked how a, how a, a checklist card for double-face cards works. You know, So when he yeah. cast it, he uh, would actually put the real card down and, and, and work from there. How many times did you get called to make sure that card was right, like legal? I honestly thought it happened a lot, and, and it never did. But I, I mean, I was the one who actually wrote out the proxy, and, and I initialed it. So I guess, I guess it was fine after that. I, I think I even drew a little picture 
a little wolf or something. Awesome. Yeah. The um I I've done I've had a crimped crimped card come out come out of a pack, in which case I was just able to find the you know, an uncrimped version of it and gave him that to to do and took the crimped card. The other night at F and M I almost got to issue one. Like the guy um had his card and in the in the sleeve and when he went to put his deck in the uh in the deck box like the card had slid down a little bit, so he put the deck box or, or the deck on the card, bending it at like a ninety degree angle. Oh. And so when he oh, just pulled the card out, tough. when he pulled the card out, he was like, "Uh, Judge, <laughs> can I still play with this?" And I was like, "Um, let's see what we can do." And I was actually uh, he got a sleeve from his sideboard because the sleeve was actually worse than the card was. Was able to bend the card back into into shape, put it in a, a, a good sleeve, and you know you couldn't tell uh, it from the rest of the deck. And I was actually a little disappointed that I didn't get to get a sharpie in a planes because I was like, I was was telling him I was like, if I can't fix this, I get to do a proxy, and I've never done one of those before. I'm gonna have a lot of fun. I'll draw a little picture on it. Yeah, it'll be great. great. It'll be great. You know, how everyone will laugh and laugh at just how funny sure. the picture was. This is what judges, this is what we think is fun and cool. <laughs> I need to draw a picture on a plane and someone's going to play with it. This is going to be awesome. Well, you wait, maybe, make sure when you, make sure when you, uh, when you do those proxies, you should always use a planes because planes is the worst basic land. Maybe that's what this judge at the Pro Tour was thinking. <laughs> I'm going to draw a cute picture on a card. It's going to be awesome. I'll draw like a kitten. I'll draw Nya Cat. Yeah. Wait, I just started doing Yon Cat, but I was doing the meow 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 meow. I was way off. Hey, is it mail time? Well, congratulations, Alex. You just Alex, said, on you just said the magic words, CJ. Yeah. Here, I'll do it. I'll do it this time because Brian's done it before, and I've never done it actually. Mail time. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Uh, you may have done a better job than anyone else so far. Well, I've been practicing. I, I didn't want to. You know, I was hoping you guys would notice. We got a mail from Sean Mills, a a buddy of mine uh, from Georgia, who randomly started listening to this podcast. It's kind of weird, but he says to us, uh, "Hey, I just started playing MTG. He learned on illegal programs for playing Magic on over the past few months. The comments on how to make altars that can still work, uh, i.e., remain playable, was great. This is one of the primary reasons I started buying cards was to make art mods for my more accomplished competitive Magic friends." This was invaluable to me. That's a we talked about changes to the MTR re- regarding altered cards last show. Uh, he said, "Side note, I was wondering if you would answer a question to me for me. Just how legal or illegal is showing your hand to your opponent? Is this gently discouraged as bad form or actually a punishable offense on specific grounds? I guess the origin of this issue is that my friend and I were doing a booster battle, and I noticed you could tell about the flip cards." which they're actually double-faced cards. Flip cards are a totally different thing. That's my personal vendetta in the world. Anyway, I guess some situations could be intimidation, taunting, intentional subterfuge, pretending to show a card by accident. Sorry if this is like a super noob question. Thanks. Sean, I don't think this is a uh, super noob question, and, and would anyone like to tackle it? Sure. Or Jess? No, go ahead. To? Go ahead. Okay. So if you've got, if you've got a... Uh, you are allowed to reveal hidden information that you are able to access. Like, the top card of your library is hidden information that you don't have access to, but your hand is hidden information that you do have access to. And, you know, you can just sit there and be like, you know, 
your opponent, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, your opponent's at three life and he's just like, ah, just show me the bolt, the lightning bolt. And you just, you know, hold the card up. Okay. You know, something like, something like that. That's not, that shouldn't be punishable. If you drop your hand, you know, oops, I dropped my hand. You know, that, that shouldn't be punishable either. So right. you can, you can tell now I can just sit back and be like, I've got, Six lightning bolts in my hand. You better scoop because I'm going to kill you next turn. And the opponent, you know, he's like, he probably doesn't have six. Probably, uh, <laughs> probably. Um, you know, I don't have to show you. I don't have to. I don't even have to be really right about what's in my hand. You know, I don't have to be accurate uh, about that. But yeah, I can show you what's in my hand. Hey, look at this. Look you at this cool actually, foil. Look at this art. That is not even just limited to uh, to what's in your hand. Anything you could look at can fall into this category. Uh, this hidden information that you can see, you can reveal it to your opponent. Yeah, actually, uh, so, mail just went out on the on the judge list about that in a multiplayer so, game. Yeah, well, I was actually thinking uh, there was a situation I saw uh, some time ago. There was a player playing a, uh, a Sphinx of Dwar Isle. We used to call it uh, Cheaty Peak Sphinx because it lets you look at the top card of your library. And you can do this at any time. You can just be like, oh yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to look at the top card of my library. And a player wanted to know if he could reveal the top card of his library to his opponent because he could look at it and be like, oh, hey, here's the card that's going to kill you next turn. And you can. You can definitely do that because you can look at it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, only, only in that situation where something else lets you look at the top card of your library. If, yeah. if you don't have that in play, you can't just pick up the top card of your library and show it to people. It doesn't, that's not allowed. And the issue on the judge list was, say, we're in a four-player game, and I make you uh, show me your hand through whatever spell will do that. Um, I can reveal that to all the other players, because it's the same thing. I have access to this information, so I'm allowed to reveal it. But you can't... They they have no way of knowing if you're actually telling the truth or not. I could. Well, I can physically show the cards. Yeah, that one actually just went out that you can actually physically show them the cards. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's that was my response too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Guess you can. Okay. All right. All right. So, sure. Not there's not too many EDH pods run at competitive REL. No. But, no. no there yeah. aren't. Thankfully, there aren't. Yes. Thankfully. Uh, so we got one more mail before we wrap up the show, and it's it's from a guy named uh, Matt Arnold. I'm not sure how much information he wants out there, so I won't say where he's from. But uh, he says he's a player with cerebral palsy. And he was wondering we, if we make up a place. Yeah, make him up. Saskatchewan. Okay, he's from Saskatchewan. He says he's a place. Well, that's actually where he's from, though. Well, no one would believe it because okay. Brian just said it out of nowhere. No, not really. I've been planning on saying Saskatchewan for like the entire podcast. Well, so it wasn't out of nowhere. It's accomplished. Premedit- premeditated. Matt is a player with cerebral palsy. And he's wondering if there was a policy in place for accommodation at events like F and M. Who well, wants to cover this? I would love to cover this. Oh, please do. Not only is there, is, is, well, there's no specific policy. There's no document that tells me exactly what I'm supposed to do to accommodate that as far as magic rules are concerned. However, at FNM or any other event, it is totally reasonable that somebody would make accommodations for any player that has a disability of some kind. And, and this is all the way up to, to Grand Prix. Uh, I have seen at a Grand Prix a player with a disability was given a set table so that so that there was a table that was on the end, it was easy to get to, and that was the table he was at every round of the event, no matter what his record was. Yeah. 
And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have to be like any disability you're born with. If you just broke your leg, right. you know, they'll do yeah. this for you. It's, it's no problem. I've also seen similar situations where there was a Grand Prix that had, you know, almost 1500 people. And there was a dad that was there with his eight year old son. He goes, we're both playing, but I want to make sure we're close enough that, that we can see each other because I, I don't want to lose track of my eight year old kid. And they made an accommodation for that as well. So it's not just disabilities. If there's a, a significant reason that you need help, uh, or, or, or need something like that. At the very least, ask the head judge or ask the event stand at a large event or at something like FNM, they're almost always going to make an exception for you. Yeah. And, and I don't think you mentioned this, but another thing is if you need help shuffling, uh, as yes. long as the judge can do it, we, we will try. You know, it's not something we could do for everyone. If, if you're just some guy and you don't like shuffling, uh, too bad. You got to shuffle your own deck. But if there's an actual reason you can't shuffle, yeah, we'll, we'll try to help you out. So, and that's basically what I told Matt, and he came back at me with a uh, rules question. So he's like, he's like a double threat. I like him. His rules question is, he says, if he were to get a time vault, oh, let me read time vault. Time vault. I like this question already. Yeah, I know, right? Time vault enters the battlefield tapped. Time vault doesn't untap during your untap step. If you would begin your turn while time vault is tapped, you may skip that turn instead. If you do untap time vault, and time vault says tap, take an extra turn after this one. So. All of that compressed means you can skip a turn to untap Time Vault to take another turn. His question was, <clears throat> if he has Unwinding Clock, can he take as many turns as he likes? Uh, unwinding Clock reads, I never heard of uh, this card. It says, untap all artifacts you control during each other player's untap step. That's all it does. He, he was wondering, can he take just infinite turns after this point? Uh, No. No. Yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, it takes a second to think about, but yeah. Yeah, so the, the reason that doesn't work is because uh, Unwinding Clock only taps or only untaps your artifacts on your opponent's untapped steps. Yep. Uh, so Time Vault is, is, is yeah, that's not, that's not going to untap it. Yeah, basically, I, and the way I replied to him was basically what's going to happen in the end is you're going to get two turns for every one turn he gets. Because on his turn, your thing will untap. So you can take your turn, then you can tap the time vault to get another turn, and then he'll have another turn, which will untap yours again. Does that sound correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, what you really want here is Voltaic Key. I think that works a lot better. With We don't give strategy advice. I do on Judge Cast. Oh. The one time I ever have any strategic advice, I don't know how to play this game. <laughs> and that is it for our mail. Does anyone have anything else they want to say? This show was not supposed to go this long. Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. This is all Brian's fault. I, sh- I should have known. Nothing else? Maybe. You thinking about it? We'll wait. Nah, I got nothing. All right. Jess, you want to take us out of the show? All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. And it, as always, if you have any questions or rude questions you want to th- throw to us, you can get in touch with us through our email address, which is judgecast@gmail.com. And we will answer those rules questions on the air. And uh, you can also contact us through our Twitter at JudgeCast on Twitter. Is there anything I forgot there? Facebook. Oh, right, right, right. Of course, we have the Facebook group, or Facebook page, rather. Uh, so the JudgeCast Facebook page. If you like us on the Facebook page, we'll let you know when the next episodes are coming out. This is Jess Dunks for JudgeCast. I keep it fun. And this is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Brian. I keep it over two hours. <laughs> you do. Hey.
really is about to get scatological for a second. Maybe your dog's proper bowel movements are in the hell vault. Red hot hot, red hot hot, red hot hot, red hot hot, red hot hot.